All right. Our scripture text from this last Sunday was uh, from the 11th chapter of John. It's the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Oops, I gave away the ending, but let's talk about it anyways. I'm going to be picking up at verse 32. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her also crying, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone covered the entrance. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Well, Amy, in, in your sermon this past weekend, you were using the term wilderness words quite frequently. Yes. And uh, I felt like you used that as a pretty broad concept. Uh, and I'm curious if you if you now upon pe- preaching the sermon and went back and thought about it, I'd be curious how you would define you were Webster and you had to define wilderness words in the dictionary or in uh, writing in the Wikipedia for it. How would you spell that out a little more that you've had a little distance from the sermon? Yeah. So that's a great question. So for me, even when you were asking that, the first word that comes to my mind is like a, a barren place somewhere that we are uncomfortable. Maybe that we are afraid. A lot of times we don't expect ourselves to, to be there and it is uncomfortable. So all, all of these kinds of words that are not um, places that we would long to be <laughs> um, much of the time. We don't go, and I even said in the sermon, we don't go um, often looking for the wilderness. I mean, we expect that during the, the season of Lent um, to, to walk through this space and time where we clear out things. Um, in our lives to be able to to listen to God more, but more broadly than the season of Lent, just barren um, and dangerous a lot of times. Yeah, I felt like in in your uh, your sermon too, you also left space for uh, wilderness words could be words of deep truths, but they're the type of truths maybe you earned you earned or got as a result of a struggle. Could you speak a little more about that? Yeah, so I, I feel like you could go multiple places in the narrative of the Bible and find that being true. I think about the Israelites in the wilderness. I think about Jesus in the wilderness. Um, lots of other places where people go out and they are able to hear God to um, interact with the spirit in ways that if you are in the midst of a noisy life, in the midst of a noisy society, that perhaps you might not be able to hear in the same way. And I think about, you know, for us being able to clear out space, 
this season that we're in, this wilderness, as I said in the sermon that we are in now, our daily routines are all thrown off uh, and there is room for silence um, unexpectedly for us. But I guess I would encourage people to think about those times where we might feel bored (laughs) as an opportunity to listen in a way that we might not regularly. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that this is happening in the context of Lent. Um, you know, it's it's in in a bizarre way. I hate to say it; it just so fitting. Um, I saw I saw a church Instagram that shared a, a page that said, "This is the lentiest Lent that I ever did Lent." I don't know if you've seen that. It's just, I, that yeah, when you started yeah. talking, I I had seen that too. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it just it just it makes me laugh to know it. I think that's that's really funny. I I, I mean, I I think my only I, I get that. I, I feel I feel privileged that I'm a, in a position where, you know, the worst thing I'm having to endure is just feeling cooped up. Um, you know, that's certainly uh, I, I know there were some conversations coming out of India, particularly because of how strong the caste system is, is playing out in this is helping people understand their privilege and all of this. Um, you know, I the, I think the one lament for me is just where we just aren't going to be able to celebrate Easter at the end of this Lent in, in, in the same way it would have normally been celebrated. You know, that's that's the one sort of big, big drawback to me from that outside of just the horrificness of what we're going through. Um, so I, I want to key in on on the shortest verse in the Bible. <laughs> uh, and I. I, lo- I love that every single different translation tries to put their spin on the ball to just say, oh, you know, we're going to be the one that jazzes up this translation. Uh, you know, we, we it begins with the Jesus wept, but we in the Common English Bible, which uh, which we typically use as Jesus began to cry. Yes. So uh, <laughs> but you, you, you expanded on that uh, and talked about how that should give us hope or give us a sense of peace. And I'm curious if you'd talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting translation uh, from the common English because it, it actually, and I, and I know they're trying to jazz it up. Right. But I think it, I think it might point us to something too, that he, he began to cry and this, I'm giving them a lot of latitude with the translation, but um, he began to cry and we've already heard that he was deeply disturbed So I think that translation actually might point us to Jesus had been internally dealing with the, you know, the the grief, even if that was just a few moments before, a few minutes before, but this image of him beginning to cry, like it welled up um, within him and he had to let it out. So maybe they're just trying to be a little creative with that translation, but I think it can point us to something there. Um, and then one of the interesting things um, from last week that I read, and I certainly it ended up informing what I ended up preaching about, is from the Harvard Business Review. I don't know if you happened to see this um, article last week, but the title of it is that discomfort you're feeling is grief. Um, and it is very interesting to think about the stages of grief about how people are grieving right now in the midst of the situation. Um, it's written by a guy named Scott Baranato. hope I'm saying that correctly for him. Um, but it is an interview with, uh, David Kessler who actually co-wrote with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, this book on grief and grieving. 
and walks us through um, some of the things that we might be experiencing now in this wilderness of you know the pandemic and everything that we're living through um, at the at the moment. And one of the things that he um, talks about in this interview is anticipatory grief. And maybe that's why the, that translation um, from the common English struck me that way today, because it, the anticipatory grief, um, it's not exactly the same as Jesus's experience here, but it's looking towards the future um, uh, and the unknown and the grief that we feel of these outcomes that we anticipate, that we look for, that we can imagine. And I think that's really um, on point for us because we don't know what the future holds for us. So part of our grief is not even just the pain that people are in now and around us, but the pain that we can imagine might be possible and, and holding in those feelings of grief. And I think that's why it's so beautiful that Jesus cries, that he, that he lets it out in this moment. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a, that's a, incredibly complicated matter now because this grief happens on so many different levels, you know, where, whereas somebody who our our grief, you know, our grief, if we're sitting in a place where, you know, our, our, I guess our anticipatory grief is we're grieving the possibility someone we know would be diagnosed. Whereas there are people in much different situations, particularly healthcare workers in places like, like New York that have anticipatory grief of, having to innovate people, having to, you know, seeing death or having to triage and just these complicated things. And um, I, I, I'm curious, I'm not, I'm not a, a trauma expert or anything like that, but I, 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 I can't imagine us as a society in enduring uh, this sort of anticipate anticipation long-term without it having societal wide effects you know, society-based trauma. I'm sure there's some research in that, but that's, that's super interesting. I, one of the things that did strike me is I, I, I'm, you might've seen these graphs and I, I'll, I'll try to share one if I think of it that, um, uh, will show the, the stage of the grief as, as a circle, um, as opposed to, uh, as a linear progress instead of a linear progression. Um, because we all understand if we've ever gone through any sort of grief, it's not a linear thing. We jump back and forth and sometimes we jump really far ahead and jump back. And, um, but the one I, I, I see in particular is that it's a circle, but it has a bunch of sort of like intertwining arrows showing you jumping around. And I, and I, I feel like this, in this case, it's especially true because there is, um, there's a nebulous nature here. You know, if, if, if uh, mourning begins with shock, I, you know, the question I have is, are we all even shocked? Mm. You know what I mean? Or, or are we, or is the shock coming in much like a, um, you know, like a tsunami that doesn't come in as one big giant wave, but comes in as wave after wave that slowly rises and rises and rises. And I, I feel like that this is going to be, um, just a cyclical process in nature, um, which is a really interesting question as leaders within a church to ask is what are we, what can we do within our community to help us process these things? And, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought all of this stuff up because it, it, it is a really interesting thing to consider. Have you spent much time thinking on it behind, beyond what you've just sort of engaged in the sermon? Yeah. So, so an, actually an interesting thing at the end, near the end of this article, um, which I, I hope we can link for folks. Um, he actually, this uh, Keller has added on another stage of grief and that is meaning. 
and so he, he got permission from this co-author that he had had to add on at this point meaning and you know not, and that is not to say that you know that grief was a good thing whatever happened they brought you to this place of grief is like oh now I see this as you know something that I'm glad happened or none of those things um, but what meaning can I draw from this experience mm. and what can I take with me into my life moving forward that I now understand and I, I think for us as church leaders that to have our eye on that even now what meaning can we draw from these moments that that we are going through now and that we will continue to go through because one day one day this will be behind us I don't know when that will be but one day this will be behind us and we will start to go back to our you know quote normal lives and and it will be a shame if we don't gather meaning um, from from this time and it will be it will well it will just be a shame if we if we yeah. don't think about these things now but we also in in retrospect because again one day this will be over so to be able to look back uh, might be the place where we see even more meaning in this time and think about you know, already in our own community, thinking about the ways that people are coming together for one another and the way that they are, you know, expanding what their idea of gathering and being a community is about. I mean, you know, we could go on and on with that conversation just from, you know, this point where we are now, but really being able to think about what is God <laughs> saying to us in this moment and, and who are we called to be? in this moment and what are we called to do? Yeah, that, that, um, what, what you're saying right there in terms of that meaning uh, dovetails with something I've, I've seen in some versions of it where, um, near the end in, in between depression, I'm sorry. Yeah. The depression and acceptance phase of that, where, um, they'll put this idea of testing because I, I think, I think the way we talk about acceptance is often misleading uh, because acceptance isn't just something like, Oh, okay. I'm okay with it now. Right. It, it, it more, it involves, you know, conscientious choices, lifestyle changes, and they might be minor. They might even just be attitudinal adjustments. Um, but they've in between those stages, they've just put testing. And the idea is that you, you're actually just sort of testing uh, you're testing what's going to work. And if it doesn't, you sort of stay in depression or the others. And eventually if you find the thing that works and you move into acceptance, and I feel like that's, that, that very much relates to what you're talking about meaning mm -hmm. um, because really behave, behavior shapes meaning and meaning shapes behavior. And, and that's really, that's really interesting. And yeah. And the other thing I would say about all of it is I think that um, many people judge their feelings when they're experiencing them. Um, and maybe sometimes that's to hold them off because we don't want to feel sadness or we don't want to feel anger because it can feel overwhelming if we allow ourselves, you know, to say, I, I am sad. <laughs> uh, I am in, I am in grief um, about this situation or in any other situation. But I think there's something to not judging ourselves for the feelings that we have. Like, you know, I, in my mind, Mind, I can hear people saying, oh, I shouldn't feel this way because I, you know, I get to just be at home or, you know, I shouldn't feel this way because of you know, what, whatever you put on the end of that sentence. Um, but those feelings of that you shouldn't feel a certain way doesn't make it so. It doesn't take those feelings away. 
Um, so I think there's something to that as well for folks. Yeah. And to bring it all the way back to the, the, um, your original point of um, the the translation Jesus begins to to weep. Uh, I think that's an interesting um, you know sort of path forward for us. Is uh, to me the the way you sort of talk through that. It reminds me of my experience as a pastor working with people at funerals, and um, you know people people do their best to hold things together, right. um, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, and, and sometimes it's the it's the strangest little things that's the pebble in the dam that gets that dislodges and all of a sudden the weeping comes. Um, and to me, as a, um, you know, as I think of where we are right now, I, to me, the lesson I take away from that is don't invest so much energy into keeping that pe- that pebble there, particularly when dealing with this issue. I mean, it, it's, it's okay. It is okay to mourn. And it, now that is difficult and, and that's difficult. Cause how do you, how does one mourn, because to me, mourning involves other people. Like we can, mourn, we can certainly mourn in private. Uh, but I think in terms of communal living, as human beings were created for community, mourning. How do we mourn together um, in, in this sort of way, especially within a culture that does um, so much performative complaining? Um, you know, how? To, what's the difference between? you know, me posting something snarky about trying to get work done, why my daughter's chasing the cat. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a qual- qualitative difference between that and saying, you know, I, I'm just not being able to have physical interaction with people, not being able to have that sort of ebb and flow has just really caused me a great deal of worry and anxiety. It's made me, you know, fearful about shaking hands. And I, it, it's, it feels so dehumanizing. I mean, that's, that's a whole separate thing. And um, I think that's something, I guess I would just encourage people have the bravery, particularly when you're in communities of faith, that there's a degree of trust, have the bravery to have that sort of honesty with people, honest, what one is mourning um, is an interesting liturgical idea to think about in worship. How do we create space for that that degree of mourning. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I tried to very briefly, I talked about lament uh, during the sermon as, you know, this, this too is a form of worship, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. bringing that grief to God, bringing our anger to God, that those things too are, are part of worship. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I feel like, I feel like, honestly, that's like a sermon series that should be 20 weeks long and every sermon should be the same because it's a point that's so important, particularly in you know, to relate it back to performative culture, performative, everything's wonderful perform, you know, it's just because of the, the advent of social media and it, particularly things like Instagram, where you can make your life look perfect. It's just, it's really hard to be that level of authentic. Um, that's a wonderful reminder. That was a great point. So uh, there's a little line it's a really interesting, tall, tiny, small little line, and it comes in verse 44. Uh, and <laughs> I'm going to read, I'll read it from verse 43 and 44 from the message. It, it, and then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief over his face. <laughs> That's wild imagery there. Uh, came out as a cadaver. Um, but but Jesus told them, told everyone they're looking who, you know, and then by this point they say Lazarus stinks, you know, he's probably been in there at least seven days because he wouldn't be considered dead for at least three and said he was in four. Jesus told the crowd, go unwrap him, let him loose, uh, go unbind him. 
And uh, you had some really interesting theological thoughts on that that passage, Amy. I'd love for you to share those with us. Yeah, so that so that was one of the places that you know didn't quite have space for space and time. And I know you know how that is for the sermons, you know, when you're preparing those. But it is really uh, meaningful. I think there's a lot of meaning that we can draw out of this because this community has gathered around uh, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. And the scripture tells us that they, they are all there mourning as well, that they, they are in grief. And so they're, they're gathered and, and Jesus raises him, Lazarus comes out, and actually Jesus invites them to participate in this moment, that untying of Lazarus. Uh, and of course, you know, this miracle has just happened. Lazarus is there. So clearly Jesus could have said, Lazarus, come out. And he was already unbound. But the story doesn't go that way. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus invites um, folks to take part. You unbind him. And I think there's something beautiful there about how we participate uh, in the work of God's kingdom here on earth. I see it as an invitation from Jesus to those people who had been mourning and who now probably in a moment of shock, but would soon be, I think, in a moment of celebration and they are invited to unbind him. And it, I, I wonder how we unbind one another uh, from the things that weigh us down from the things that hold us back? How can we be there for one another as the people of God um, to, to do that now? Because that's not an invitation just for that moment. That's an invitation for us in this moment, in every moment. Uh, how, how do we uphold? How do we bring life uh, to others? Yeah, that's such tricky, tricky language because which which what which is what makes the metaphor even more powerful because it's uh, it, one could very easily shift into the savior complex. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to save you thing, which is where this metaphor really works because it's you know they they're they're participating in this act of resurrection from Jesus. You know he did the heavy lifting there, but they're they're doing their part. Um, but Lazarus is still Lazarus is still kind of like you know he's coming out of his own power he's you know he's walking but he needs assistance sort of to become fully human again right. and so their their act of unbinding him is not not a salvific act it's mm-hmm. not a it's not yeah it's just not any sort of act in that regard it it is a loosening freeing liberating act and that that boy, that's hard to define in really specific terms, but in terms of poetically to keep in the back of our minds as we proceed with treating one another with care and trying to create generosity and, and shalom, that's a wonderful, wonderful image. Yeah, I, I thought it was just gorgeous. And, you know, after this, um, when you get over to chapter 12, there's this abundant life imagery of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus ga- gathered together. Um, so th- this is the, the kind of movement that we have from, from this moment there at the tomb into abundant life. Um, and the community got to participate alongside um, in that. And I love that. I think it's such an example for you know, how, how we can be, how the things that we can do. So this idea of unbinding Lazarus that we just talked about, I feel like it transitions to something that's very, very 
interesting, and there's a lot of potential in the church right now for this, is the idea that God, who the infinite source of power, knowledge, all these things, the omniscient one, still asks us to participate in God's act of creation of, 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 of restoration of justice. Somehow God is still asking us to participate. God could set things right, make things right. God, God could glorify God's self. God could do all of these things. And yet God asks us to participate. In fact, the term people have used God has asked us to be co-creators, which is why uh, within that language, which is really puts the environmental arguments really into your mind. If we are co-creators, shouldn't we be caring not only just because it's good for us, but it, because we are performing godly roles in caring for this. But to me, I think what's so interesting now is this, I feel like this period of isolation creates the potential for um, artistic expression. And um, to me, it gets back to the word liturgy. Here within a mainline Protestant church, we use the word litur liturgy all the time. It's a liturgical something. If you want to make something fancy, we can say liturgical cake making, you know, and somehow it becomes a thing that is christened, you know. Uh, we have, But it's this word that at its core meaning just means uh, work of the people. Um, and yet we've used it in all these different ways. And my worry is particularly within churches full of uh, professional individuals that hire professionals to do professional Christianing on behalf of the church in terms of worship, that we can, can end up losing the idea that worship is this collective act that we are doing together. It's not necessarily hiring someone to go out and find the best words written by the best thinkers of all time and the most spiritual prayer and then we'll We'll feed it back to each other. It's this, what's this thing we are creating together? Um, and I, I'm curious, Amy, if you've had experience in that or, or just what are your thoughts on from a worship experience of being a collaborative process or uh, experiences where you're obviously a liturgy writer that writes prayers and things like that. And it's obviously incredibly meaningful for you. I'd be curious, even maybe if you just talk about that, why is it so meaningful? And do, and do you see that potential in others? Well, so for me, with with writing, I love things to be poetic <laughs> um, because I think that it can move people um, in a way that just kind of pl plain talk uh, might not. So, and I also think that it can open us up to hear difficult things sometimes, mm -hmm. to hear hard things. Um, if we can get at, well, to bring it back, that that word meaning, right? If we can make meaning beautiful in some way that I think people can be more um, apt to receive it and not only just to receive it, but maybe to act on, on the things that they are feeling called to do. Because, you know, I think about the art community and um, the arts community, seeing a play, you know, I think can have a similar sort of experience. You talked uh, several weeks ago now um, about these kind of transcendent experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think liturgy, worship, um, certainly is one of those things. And we often think of those as, as gathered times. Uh, I think the invitation, the opportunity that we have in this season is to um, use some of that time that we have in our own homes. If you or an artist or a musician, or you like to craft things to be able to frame those kinds of things that you are already doing um, as something that could be liturgy, right? That could be the work of the people um, and, and draw meaning from that for yourself, but also to be able to share that with other people. 
Yeah. And why, why you're a, a, you, you just drive yourself wanting things poetic. I, I find myself wanting things very um, I I'm concerned about the sort of like the sum total of all the experiences. And so I don't, I, this is why as an individual, I just have so many different interests is, is in, I'm highly interested in visual arts, obviously very interested in songwriting, very interested in videography, very interested in the spoken word. Um, and I, because I guess the word I would use for myself is I, I am very interested in the atmospherics of worship um, as a, yes. as a, you know, as a lived experience is, does it, is it feel, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in an immersionist tradition. I was, I was fully dunked under the water when I was 10, then <laughs> baptizo fully dunked under the water. I, I tend to like my worship experiences fully immersive where, where it's not, it's not just hitting me from one vector. It's hitting me from a lot of vectors, from poetic words to rich images. Um, I had an experience years ago at my uh, previous congregation where we did a worship series. And over the course of uh, four or five weeks uh, in, in all of our services, we had different painters paint live in worship that at the end of the series had created these beautiful works of art that display, that I believe are probably still in the church to this day. And when they first started doing it, we didn't really tell people why they were doing it. There's not even, sometimes there wasn't even a really direct thing. It was just like, it's beautiful. <laughs> and it, it's, it's, it's great to see, people create. And so I, I, um, I, I'd lovely, I'd love to just encourage people in this time to use this extra free time and not necessarily jump to how am I going to entertain myself? So I don't face the grim reality of, of what's going on, but more take some moments to intentionally channel that into creation. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to build a hedge around creation and just say it's purely what we define as the typical arts uh, you know, God is calling us to co-create in so many areas. It could be starting a new business that treats employees fairly, that gives them equity in the in the in the business. It's it's how one operates as a physician, as a lawyer, as someone who is uh, working in the warehouse, working in the stores, in the service industry. It's like you know, God is calling us to co-create in all those sorts of things. Um, and I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of joy in that because I I think that's that. It exemplifies the playfulness of God, even when it's in mourning. Uh, and I think this is really an opportunity, unlike any other we're likely to ever experience in our lives, um, to, to be able to be in a situation like this. And, and I, I want us as Christians to take this opportunity to do that. Um, and that's why this situation is just so unique because our, our heart is, particularly in our congregation, it's jump out, serve, serve, serve. What's the way we can serve? And we're still invested in doing that, but we also have to admit we're really limited in what we can do with that right now because for the good of others, we're not interacting. Um, and so I, I'd really encourage people to use this time for that personal reflection and, and diving from the deep. And it's going to take nerve because one, you're just going to have to do it, but two, I, I'd I encourage people to share it. it. It's meant to be shared. And, um, that that's, uh, yeah, I just really commend that in this time. I find myself playing more piano. I find myself just sort of being more, much more playful with all those different tools that I love to use. 
Yeah. And so you, you, so you talked just a second ago about people, you know, just don't just fill your time trying to in your entertain yourself mm-hmm. with things. I would also add to that. Don't spend all your time trying to be productive. <laughs> you know, the, those things that you feel like you should be doing when you're sitting at home. And I mean, I'm sitting in my room right now and I see that my slippers are on the floor. Why weren't my slippers put away when I, you know, when I took them off, those kinds of things, like that kind of crushing feeling of there's something I should be doing right now. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I get that. It, and to me, it almost works in reverse. It, it's like, I feel normal and good when I'm trying to plow through and get something done. What, what makes me feel like tired, (laughs) tired and not knowing what's going on is when I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's like, uh, it's the joke I, my wife and I have had before and I know others have made is when you, when you travel to see family over a holiday, you'll find yourself on some of those days in the middle of the day, just yawning your brains out saying like, why am I so tired? Mm-hmm. And it's just because you can't, you're, you're held in a place where you don't, you're not in your own house. You're not doing necessarily your job at that moment. And it just, it changes your chemistry in your brain and puts you in a different place, which is we should learn to embrace as a good thing. And I, I mean, I don't know. That's what we are here. We're on a, we're on an extended holiday with family. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, um, as part of our show, we take a few minutes to bring things to your attention, things that interest us from the week, recommendations that we have for you. Sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're serious, sometimes they're just crazy. So during this time, we are also going to be lifting up things to you that make us laugh or things that make us feel good. So Shane, do you want to go first today? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there is a... um, there's a link and I'll put it in there and I, I believe this is a Vanity Fair article and it's just about, it, it is about the 20, 20 best sketches of the last 20 years in sketch comedy. So it, there's stuff from Mad TV and SNL and the Dave Chappelle show. Just, you know, just a warning. Not all these are kid friendly, uh, particularly some of the Dave Chappelle stuff, which is pretty sharp social commentary. Um but just just a word, but every single one of them is about the funniest thing you've ever seen. But there's one in particular I want to highlight because it, it it's um it is a Saturday Night Live sketch, and I believe it might be the first ever Saturday Night Live sketch of um, Debbie Downer, which is a character played by Rachel Dratch, who in in the light of it, you know, every situation she just always comes up with the worst thing to say. And this one, they happen to be in Disney World, and it's. You know, it's got a lot of sort of comedy icons in it. it you know, Jimmy Fallon's in it. Uh, Amy Poehler's still in it. Uh, a couple of the other cast, Chris Parnell and, and Horatio Sands. And uh, the, I believe the star is Lindsay Lohan in that one. And um, it's the first one ever. And apparently what happened is they didn't tell the cast that they were going to insert this like wah, wah noise every time she said the Debbie Downer thing. Um and what makes it so great is I'm, I'm having trouble talking about this without laughing myself is they can't handle it. This, like the, the people in the cast literally cannot handle it. And it, it gets about a minute in before they start losing it. And it, it, it is almost reaches to a point where the skit can't function, including Rachel Dratch, who is playing Debbie Downer. It, it just, it makes me laugh 
to no end. And it's one of those I just literally like bookmark in YouTube that if I just need to laugh. But the, this, the, the list is 20. It's great. I mean, you will lose two hours, uh, particularly if you let YouTube autoplay, uh, start watching these things. But if you just need like a quick hit of something, uh, this list is great. And in particular, that sketch. Awesome. So my kind of funny one for this week uh, is on Disney+. Plus. So I know that limits some people, but if you don't have Disney Plus, now's the perfect time to get it. Okay. <laughs> SpawnCon. <laughs> um, so there's a show, though, on Disney Plus um, called The World According to Jeff Goldblum. Have you seen anything about this? Yes. Yeah, so he just picks these uh, kind of areas, some things like jewelry, and then has an entire episode just about jewelry. And he's wearing like just crazy clothes through all of it. And you're like, Jeff Goldblum, you're hilarious. I want to see everything that you do. He has one on coffee, one on pools, RVs. So it's really funny. But you also sometimes get to learn some things as well. So I would commend that to you, the world according to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, we've kind of had a Jeff Goldblum renaissance here in recent years where he's sort of, you know, he was hot thing and went away and then came back and again and went away and it's back and we're all enjoying the glory of it. Uh, other thing I'd recommend to you, I mean, this is, this is funny, but I would just more put it in the like, I feel from time to time we need to expose ourselves to things that just make you go, what on earth is that? <laughs> and right now is the ultimate time to do this with the ultimate thing that is this. And it is a show on Netflix called Tiger King. And it is the most bananas thing I have ever seen. It, uh, it, it What's great about it is you can jump, if you jump in and watch it right now, because everyone on earth online is talking about it. Uh, it is, it's almost hard to be spoiled on it because everything someone says on it is like, what, <laughs> what? Uh, again, parental warning. This is, this is very blue and very like crazy, but it's, um, it's one of these things you watch and just think, oh man, I do not know human beings come in this configuration, you know? <laughs> uh, so Check it out, Tiger King on Netflix. If you hate it, I didn't recommend it. The rest of the internet did. So, <laughs> so that was actually going to be my second funny recommendation. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> it is ludicrous. Um, my husband and I were watching one of the episodes last night, and I said, "I had no idea these things were going on in the world." It's like it feels like I have just like the curtain has been pulled back, and it's like. What is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, the, the I I think we're three episodes in, but the the the, the documentary uh, people do a very good job of like just sort of teasing out questions and comparisons because that you know kind of the central to it is this main this main man in Oklahoma named what's his name Joe Exotic uh, yes. and and his conflict he has with a, a woman who runs a, a cat rescue and the interesting thing is comparison is you know she believes herself to be very a person of virtue uh, and then she reviles him he reviles her but really the way they operate and they demonstrate this very very well is they essentially operate in almost the exact same way. Uh, and yet she considers herself virtuous. He doesn't consider himself virtuous. He just is him, but <laughs> he's, he's just Joe exotic. You know, it's uh boy, it, it is a trip. Um, 
So if you're just looking for like a disorienting hour or two, you know, boy, go for that one. It, yeah. It's wild. So do you, you said that was your funny one. I'm assuming, do you have a, do you have a good, a good, we've, we've, we've thrown a lot of just chat, you know, chaff out there. So what do we got? Do we have anything good or healthy for people? Yeah, I do. I do. So um, international treasure, Dolly Parton. Um, is going to, on April 2nd, start reading bedtime stories for children. Um, she's going to be doing it live on Facebook. So it's oh actually part of, uh, I don't know if you know about this, but that she has done for years the Imagination Library, where mm. she has, I think it's through five or six years old. Like when a, when a baby is born, she will send you a book every month of their life until they hit this certain age. Uh, my daughter took part in that until she aged out of that several years ago now. But that was such a fun thing to be a part of and so sweet and caring. And so now during this time, she's going to be going live on Facebook. I think it's at 7 p.m. Don't quote me on the time. You can look it up. But she's just going to be reading stories to children. And I will be checking it out even for me just to see yes. this happening. Yes, 100%. Yeah, we. I feel like in Tennessee, we have a special relationship with Dolly. Um, you know, that Imagination Library, I think, rolled out here for a little bit first, and then it became more of a national thing. But it's, she's, yeah, yeah she's just a uh, a treasure. And yes. that that's that's wonderful. Uh, the last thing I'd recommend is kind of in that vein. It is a little silly, but I, I think it's very wholesome silly. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a British uh, rugby commentator who has been, uh, you know, obviously he's lost all of his gigs. His, his sort of specialty is collegiate and international rugby. Well, everything has been canceled. So he's basically in his estimation lost four to five months worth of employment um, because of all these things. Um, and he has one of these just sort of classic British sporting voices, you know? And so he, he has taken footage from him just out in the park near his house of like, one is of two dogs chasing each other. Uh, the other is a group of ladies walking strollers. The other one is someone walking across the street. And he comments on them with all the bravado of a sportscaster as though these are obscure sporting events. And it is hilarious. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and what's interesting is it spawns sort of imitation as, you know, as the highest form of flattery is the, the American broadcaster, Joe Buck, who does a lot of uh, NFL and even baseball uh, sports commenting thought it was so funny. He started doing it his own, but he put a little spin on it too. He takes requests from people where they submit videos, but he, he will do it if they, if they donate to charity. Oh, uh, that's awesome. an interesting little twist. So I'll put, I'll put some links to uh, on in, down there in the notes to uh, some of this man's Twitter feed that the, the British commenter and, and some of Joe Buck stuff. But I think it's uh, you know, that's an example of, uh, of creativity at its best of just, just playful silliness that it makes the world a little better place. Well, thank you for joining us for, uh, for Deep Dive. Uh, we'll put all these links. There was a lot this week down there in the notes. Uh, and uh, we've had some interesting discussions today, Amy. Anything to say before we head out? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like us, subscribe to us, share, it with, share us with your friends. And we will see you back next week on Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. See ya. Bye-bye.